event too what's up everyone good to have you here tori man great to see you hope things are going awesome for you man really good to have you here we got plenty of ground to cover both gatano and i are in the trenches doing the work seeing what uh from us from a broad spectrum what a lot of companies are doing not just like one or two companies are doing inside of their data working with their team actually executing the program so we're, we're learning a lot here couple like uh, housekeeping items before we get started. First off, thanks all for being here. Um, we haven't done like a public live big event in a while. So great to have you all here and good to see so many familiar faces and Refine Labs team members. It's also sort of an occasion. This will be the hundredth episode of B2B Revenue Vitals Live, which we rebranded Demandgen Live about, uh, I guess, a hundred episodes. So like three quarters ago or something. So this will be the hundred, it'll be published as the hundredth episode cumulatively, which Gatano started with me. And I'm very grateful that we had such a great run there. Um, cumulatively, I think we're close to 500 episodes of the podcast now. So it continues to roll. I like to be, I try to be a role model for how I think that all B2B companies should be executing here. You know, some companies are publishing one podcast a quarter. I'm out here doing close to a hundred a year. So just goes to show you what what I think the bar for what good looks like and proving that like you don't like my company's not huge. We don't have trillions of dollars. We didn't raise some big funding round. You you don't need a lot of money to execute a strategy like this. But anyway, getting in the, the core topic, the state of capturing demand. So I'm going to do a quick little like some intro and some things that I'm seeing some patterns and trends. And then uh, Katana, you're going to jump in. And then I think we'll do sort of like a fireside demand gen live type thing. I'll ask you some questions. We'll go back and forth on that stuff, and then we'll open up to audience Q&A for the remaining 30 to 15 to 30 minutes. So let's do it. The first thing I think we need to do is define what is capturing demand. And so the core point here is that generating a lead is not necessarily capturing demand. What is necessary for demand capture is the buyer must be showing clear intent to purchase searching your company, your brand, visiting your pricing page, looking at review sites for your category, clear intent to purchase, in which case then you try to convert that demand into pipeline. A lot of companies confuse lead gen with demand capture, thinking that when they run like gated ebook, you know, $100,000 a month gated ebook ads on LinkedIn to get a bunch of MQLs, that that's demand capture. It's not, you're paying, you're overpaying by a hundred X for an email address that you could get from Zoom Info. And so that core distinction is really important as we move forward here. The key must be demonstrating an intent to buy, not to learn to buy, which gets into the next, uh, the next sort of like overarching foundational concept, reviewing the different intent types, and then some of the example offers that would go with that. To keep it pretty simple, like from a marketing perspective, I think there's really only, we can look at this almost as a binary thing. There's low intent, which is the buyer did something, but did not have high, you know, a declared intent to purchase. And then you have declared intent type of intent where somebody is declaring intent to purchase your product, request a demo, contact us, books a 
meeting with the qualified chatbot that you have on your website, you know, a lead aggregator, like uh, software advice, like they call them for advice on what to buy. They do that. And then they introduce them to you for a demo. There's a lot of different variations of that type of declared intent to buy. Um, and then there's a lot of offers that have value, but we must recognize as marketers when it's a low intent offer and in a low intent offer, typically what's going to happen is that there's going to be a sales cadence or some type of nurture with the expectation of a sales cadence afterwards. When someone does something like sign up for your newsletter or come to, you know, sign up for a webinar, we need to look at the low intent offers as a, as a different thing. Um, some of those examples, I mentioned a couple news, like newsletter conversion subscriptions, some type of calculator or grader where you have to fill out your email address to get the answers, uh, gated content, lead magnets, product tours, things like that. There's value in those types of conversions, but knowing the difference between a low intent conversion and a de declared intent conversion is really important. When we think about demand capture, it really should only be about optimizing for a declared intent conversion. There's clear mark intent to buy, and then we're trying to move that person to a conversion. So using things like Google paid search or review sites or things like that with the core goal of getting someone to sign up for your newsletter or download your content, I think it is, uh, you know, highly inefficient from an investment perspective. And we should really be looking at those channels purely for capturing actual buying intent. Now we're going to segue. Gatano, you had a note here about something that you wrote up about MQLs are not the problem. So I'd like to pass it to you so you can talk through that as part of the foundation. And then we're going to get into some of the like, what's changed, what is what's happening right now in regards to demand capture. So why don't you get us started and then we'll get to that. Yeah, man. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, thanks again for having me and good to see everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I try to keep my mind open. You know, I try to be open-minded. I try to challenge my own thinking. And uh, the guys over at Full Funnel, they made a pretty decent argument, I would say, that MQLs are not the problem, but the actual problem is the toxic lead gen culture that pushes premature and non-solution-seeking people to sales. So the issue is more along the lines of aligning on what should be done in terms of those low intent sources, how to treat them, how to redefine the MQL for what it really is, which is basically just a contact. And their argument is that if you're doing long-term enterprise B2B sales and you're doing ABM specifically, that there's a playbook you know, along the lines of something called the ABM warmup that you could be uh, collecting MQLs and utilizing uh, techniques such as progressive profiling, as they call it, uh, to find out how to basically align content topical interests to the tiered segmentation layers of your uh, target account, you know, structure. So basically, their argument is that for long, uh, long-term, you know, enterprise sales cycles and B two B, it can actually work. Uh, in terms of just understanding content interests and topical interests and how to basically, um, you know, target certain accounts with different kinds of content. But it's it's not, you know, obviously accepted to do the uh, toxic lead gen sales culture thing where you just spam, send automated email follow-up. So, you know, I try to open my mind to this. I, I am working right now with some B2B companies that do fall into that category of very, very long sales cycles. Um, I'm still urging them to follow best practices when it comes to assumed intent versus declared intent, demand capture, draw a clear line in the sand uh, between capture and creation and conversion. But 
you know, there, there is inevitably that thing that always comes up, you know, how do we nurture leads? What should we do with all these downloads? Should we ungate that kind of thing? So curious to go back and forth with you on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, I always say it's mindset, which then drives metrics, which then drives execution. So you're just basically highlighting that the first, you know, the core issue here is at the mindset level, typically from executives driven through the demand waterfall model that was originally published in 2002, revised in 2012, and Predictable Revenue, the book that basically put SDRs on the map. SDRs didn't really exist. They were done at some companies, but basically put it on the map where every company thinks it's industry standard to have SDRs, which that book was published in 2011. Um, and most companies still operate with the mindset that that is how we go to market. We need marketing to click a bunch of MQLs, and then we're going to try and push them through this waterfall model, which the waterfall model just effectively has gotten worse and worse in terms of conversion rates over time to a level where it's not even sustainable or tenable anymore. And that when we collect the MQLs, we should have a farm of SDRs. Not We don't want to have our AEs, the expensive resource that should be closing deals doing that stuff. We want to get some person that's 23 years old that we can pay 60K with a comp, with some variable comp plan to cold call these leads and get meetings because that'll be more efficient for us to do that. Uh, not thinking about what is the expectation from the customer in terms of the customer experience. Um, I talked about this in my last event. It's like, Every, every decision a company makes from not publishing pricing on their website to not listening to customers in terms of where they get information and what's working and what's not, to how they design their sales process rather than designing the customer's buying process, all their decisions are about what is best and the most perceived efficient thing for me to do without really recognizing or considering what does the customer want. And so I totally like potato, potato in my mind, like the mindset of executives is then driving the behavior of the MQL. You could look at them as both sort of root causes. You could look at MQL as an outcome of the root cause, which is the mindset. To me, either way, the MQL and the need for direct attribution continue to be core issues that hold marketing teams back from innovating or trying anything new. I say this quite a bit. People resonate with it. There's no B2B company that executes a marketing strategy like my company because every single marketing team wears handcuffs about what they can and can't do based on what the scoring and attribution model is inside of their company, which I understand and empathize with as a person that was a B2B marketer in-house for 10 years before I started my company. And so with that, let's get it, let's get into the tactics. You and I are both doing this. I'm actively running four different CRM data analysis, you know, looking at the entire marketing spend, companies spending 10, 15 million dollars a year on marketing programs excluding headcount. Where is the budget going? How's it being allocated? What is the performance against this? What are they using internally for the way to justify how they spend? $2 million a year on LinkedIn ads. These are all really interesting things that I think we'll get into, but let's get started with Google search. Gee, what's your, uh, what's your take on that? And then I'll drop my two cents after that. Yeah, man. Let's, 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 let's break it out Google's... and pay. Yeah. Let's break out paid and organic potentially too. Yeah. Let's, let's definitely break out paid and, and, and organic as well. I think what we can do is start with SEO. Um, I know you've had some really interesting takes on SEO and your, latest batches of content that have been uh, thrown out on LinkedIn and, and the podcast. So definitely curious to go, you know, back and forth with you on this. But essentially what I'm seeing is this. In B2B, unless you are the incumbent category leading power brand, 
it is super hard to capture demand with SEO. We went from SEO is about revenue. SEO is about driving revenue. So now we've suddenly shifted to SEO is about audience development. I even saw a a big, big, well-respected person on Twitter declare that SEO is now about influencer marketing. So we went from SEO is about revenue or it sucks to SEO is about influencer marketing. Now, there's a lot of schools of thought around this, but here's basically what it comes down to. You have audience development SEO, which I'll tell you, most executives think of that as vanity. They think of that as top of funnel. It's really hard to get executive buy-in to do top of funnel SEO and categorize it as audience development. What's so funny about that is that it actually falls into demand creation. So what I'm realizing is that companies have like corporate communications teams and product marketers writing blog posts like 10 Jira uh, backup myths you need to debunk. And it's not being distributed. They're writing it, publishing it, publishing it on the blog, thinking that it's going to get SEO traffic, but it's not. So it goes to the blog to die. And it has zero distribution. So there's companies investing in so-called SEO thought leadership that's not getting organic traffic. It has no distribution strategy. They're posting links on LinkedIn and getting crickets. They're not optimizing for in-platform experiences. All the shit you've been talking about for a long time. So you have that disconnect on the non-capturing demand side of SEO, the audience development side of SEO that's not ranking and there's no distribution behind it. So there's tons of money being wasted on content marketing that gets nowhere. I don't even know if the quality is good, but just the fact that it doesn't have distribution and it doesn't rank is a problem, right? So that's waste. Content corporate comms teams and product marketing teams publishing blog posts that go nowhere. I see that day in and day out in B2B. Uh, we can pause there or keep going. <laughs> keep going, dude. Yeah, rock it out. You're on a roll. All right. Let, let's flip over to the demand capture. On the demand capture, it's really limited now. You have certain modifiers that work. And those modifiers are things like the same things you would see in paid search, use case plus solution, plus software, plus platform, plus management, plus tool. Best, top, alternatives list, competitors list, competitor teardown, crash the party SEO, which is brand X versus brand Y versus brand Z. The problem is that executives are still caught up on this whole, no, we can't mention competitors thing. No, we can't create list roundups. No, we can't talk about our competitors. Uh, And you're never going to be able to capture demand. If, if that's the mentality. So if you want to rank for something like GDPR compliance software, and you think that some corporate uh, solutions page on your site is going to rank for that, you're sorely mistaken because it's, it's not going to unless you're one trust or big ID. So if you're a s- smaller, scrappier uh, underdog player and you're fighting against Let's look at the results. G2, Gartner, Megabrand, 
mega brand, list, affiliate, where do you think you're going to show up in that? You got to work really, really hard to get that traffic. And with the new search AI generative experience rolling out, this is the hydrogen bomb that's coming to SEO that executives are totally unaware of. Totally unaware of. What matters now more than anything is demand creation so that you can get included on all those lists, get uh, positive reviews and ratings so you can show up uh, programmatically on all the G2 pages. Then you have to notice that in the search generative AI results, what they're doing is basically doing some kind of quick calculation of how often you're mentioned and linked on all these roundups and stuff. And they're surfacing your brand in those AI results based on your digital footprint. So if you don't have this offsite sort of SEO, demand creation, social brand creation, brand demand strategy going on, you're never going to show up in any of these uh, AI results. So the game has really changed in a massive way. There's, a, there's an atomic bomb coming. Executives are totally unaware of it. The final thing I'll say is commodity, what is X? SEO, 7,000 word guides are done. If you would have asked uh, Matt Cutts from Google 10 years ago, what should you do to win an SEO? He would have told you to create a glossary, to create definition pages. Those used to crush it. I'm not going to front. In 2015, those things were like SEO gold. Today, you're done. You can pop anything you want into GPT and get a better definition. So anything that's very binary, dry, what is X, AI is ripping all that away. So your SEO strategy should really be around questions like, why should I do this over that? When is it the right time to do this? What should I consider if I'm in this scenario? Something that AI cannot give you a great answer on. That is where we are with SEO in a nutshell. Let's get into it, man. Dude, I love it. That, that's going to be tough to follow. I got a couple of notes here to sort of add in. One thing that I wanted to talk through is related to the measurement bias around SEO. When you think about it, if somebody hears about your brand from me, I recommend it on this call. There's no tracking to it. And you go to Google and you type in the brand and you click on the first organic branded link and then you convert. The company's back at HQ saying, yeah, SEO is crushing it for us. Not recognizing that it just takes the credit as you, and paid search does the same thing, takes the credit as you pass through Google for something else that happened. In our data specifically, if you look at it, 79% of uh, total lead, uh, declared intent lead volume is attributed to direct or organic search. Um, and when we ask customers, it's 3%. So there's, just, so there's, a, there's a large measurement bias to SEO, which HubSpot built a really big brand around inbound with. Was dark social and recommendations happening in 2014? Or was it really all the value of SEO? Maybe we'll never know, um, but the reality is today that when I, when I, me or a customer, or most likely you, 
want to figure something out and you have a question, you don't go to Google anymore. You go to LinkedIn, a community, you text a friend, you ask it on an event like this, and you get a real answer, not some bullshit blog from Google that you don't trust that was made in the Philippines for 50 bucks. And so that's why people are going because they trust their peers and the answer that their peers give them more than the stuff that they get in Google, because Google has now become a commoditized content channel. And so there's a huge human behavior element. And it's not like Google sucks and dark social is better. It's that we now have more options as humans than we did five or 10 years ago to get information that we trust the most. And now that we know how to use it, we use it as the primary way. I think what you mentioned there on the smoke and mirrors effect of brand SEO is critical to call out. Yeah, I'm going to double click it, on it. Yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go. There, are, there are so many people in B2B SEO that are riding the success of brand. There's a smoke and mirrors effect happening. Oh, organics are top converting channel. <laughs> SEO must be crushing it. <laughs> we need to invest more in SEO. It's all brand. It's all homepage. It's none of the SEO pages are doing anything. So when I separate non-brand versus brand in, in the reporting, not even just on, on assisted conversions and stuff, but just peer engagement, leading indicators. And you see that like 90% of the clicks are driven by branded terms because of the things happening on offsite channels like events, social, podcasts, whatever. You're, you're just fooling executives. And most executives don't know how to really dig into that until they, they're confused. They think, oh, our SEO is insane. Meanwhile, it's not really doing much. Uh, I think that that distinction there is really important to call out because there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, hiding in the shadows, doing SEO and not really getting great results, but taking the credit for it. Yeah. And some people just don't know any better. So hope, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. I got, I'm going to double click on that. So here's a real life example. I'm working with a company. They spend, I think $11 million they'll spend on marketing programs this year, big company. And out of that 11 million, they are going to spend 2.1 million on paid search. We ran an analysis of that data and out of the two point, they hundred K ACVs, maybe 70 K ACV SAS, right? So it's not like million dollar deals. Out of the 2.1 million, they created 22 qualified opportunities, 22 for 2.2 million, which is $100,000 per opportunity. And all 22 opportunities were from branded keywords. And they, 75% of the budget on non-branded keywords, which is $1.5 million spent to drive zero opportunities. But when you look at it, with a visible report on an influence model, it shows like Google search is influencing $10 million in revenue. So that's another, you could use paid search to look at the differences between the opportunity creation, which should then drive where do we prioritize in SEO. Okay, last, last point here to move, to keep going on the AI thing. There's a human behavior element where people just know how to get information better but Google has already indicated that they intend to make the change the search interface to be more like a chat interface over time. And when it's more like a chat interface, we don't have as much control over what answer the chat gives. 
And so with this, what's really important to recognize is that when someone goes to Google, we need them to be searching for our company, not how do I do this, which just pushes uh, marketers and marketers further to need to properly execute demand creation to do all the hard work in marketing and selling something before a customer ever gets to search or chat or whatever you want to call it and is actively buying. And the commodity type of content that a lot of companies publish for SEO ranking that doesn't, Gatano mentioned, doesn't drive a lot of value, that type of stuff provides effectively zero value once AI reaches scale. What is this is like the chatbot's going to answer that. It's not a necessary thing. And so when we think about our content strategy as B2B marketers and leaders, it has to be how do we produce original, forward-thinking, non-obvious insights and value to our prospective customers. It has to be something that you need the deep customer intimacy, some level of data or expertise to be able to create something that other people aren't going to create, which then leads it to be more valuable in the future. So those are my thoughts on SEO. Let's, go, let's move to paid search. We got, we got a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go to let's go to paid search, man. Um, definitely a ton of ground to cover here as well. Um, I think the the outcomes of what I have been uh, experiencing in paid search are more consistent with things that you've been talking about for a while, Chris. So I think a little bit less uh, of an of a you know bomb coming on the paid search side. But basically, here's a couple of things that I've taken away from optimizing paid search programs really in the last like six months. Not a shocker, but quality and relevance is a lot harder to control. It's a lot harder to control just because of the convergence of software. And paid search operators do not, do not understand search intent as well as they should. So my background in SEO, which is all about understanding search intent, has really given me an edge in optimizing paid search programs because... I'll know that if I'm selling, uh, you know, learning management software, but you're, we're bidding on things like, you know, e-learning platform, online training system, at face value, you know, it sounds good, but unless you do the work and dig into search intent and see, is this what people really want? And, and if the answer is no from the organic, the clues you get in the organic listings, yet you're blowing on non-brand because at face value, the keyword seems like it's right. And you don't listen to customer calls and you don't hear that language being used yet. You just think at face value, it's a good keyword. You, you know, you're losing, you're losing massively. So search intent in this new era of like convergence of software where data management platform means a million different things. Um, you need to be super, super targeted. You need to be very, very on point with what people want you know, data compliance platform or GDPR compliance platform, right? They, they're, over, they're overlapping, but one is much more important than the other. And you need to understand that as a paid search operator. The other insight that I've taken away is that phrase matches garbage for B2B. I, I, I'm really struggling to find a valid use case where phrase match makes sense, especially when you're selling things like intranet learning management systems, these things that have like 
big employee logins or user logins associated with them, so much garbage comes up, even on phrase match with a lot of negatives. Because LMS login has so many different portals where people are logging in, you'd be astounded at how much budget is blown on login traffic, right? And you think it's tight. You think you're, you're doing the right thing. But if, you, if you're not vigilant on that search terms report, you're going to be really bleeding a lot. The other insight is that I used to optimize landing pages with tools like Hotjar. That used to be like my go-to. Look at the heat maps, look at the engagement on page, try and find the clicks, try and find the heat barometer areas and stuff, and try and come up with hypotheses based on that. I basically threw that out the window. <laughs> now what I'm doing is winter message testing for paid search optimization. I'm literally saying, uh, what do you think of this module, this module, this module, going through, ripping that apart, coming up with new hypotheses based on the real uh, user feedback that we get on each module, things like headline, value prop, FAQs, um, you know, video modules, product screenshots, stuff like that, and seeing massive uplifts by using winter message testing. They didn't pay me to say this. I, I'm just telling you guys that it's something I've been doing and it's working. Uh, doing that rather than uh, the old way, which is hot jar, heat map, blah, blah, blah. The other uh, fascinating insight is that B2B marketers on landing pages for paid search, they put traffic into something called landing page jail, where all you can do is uh, there's a form, there's a little bit of, of a headline on the left, maybe a couple of logos and social proof, not really much else no navigation links, nowhere else to go. It's just basically like bid on employee development software, landing page with a form, convert or nothing. That's done. I think those days are gone. Um, in, in a world where buyers need a lot more information than they ever needed before, if you're putting them in landing page jail, they're just basically going to bounce. Your conversion rates on those like, you know, traditional wisdom of short landing pages convert better. Those, those days are gone. Uh, what I'm finding is the more helpful you can be, and this aligns with what you said in the beginning, Chris, giving more value up front, giving more information up front, being transparent about all the things they need, the better quality information you can give them on those paid search pages, the better your conversion rates are going to be. And the final thing is that I've been advising clients to cut off mobile bidding in B2B. Here's my rationale. Who do you know that signs up for enterprise B2B software demos from their mobile devices. I mean, just think about this for a second. All day long, you're on your laptop in B2B. You're on your main work device, desktop. You're unlikely to be on your phone during the business hour times signing up for demos, right? That's point one. Point two is, you know, after work, what do you do? You probably shut your laptop go somewhere, maybe chill on the couch, whatever. You'll be on your mobile device then. But you're far more likely to be casually browsing through Instagram, casually browsing through LinkedIn. And that's where the after hours demand creation is so key for B2B. Because most people are trying to, you know, de-fucking de get their mind off work, whatever, decompress, detoxify their brain from work. And so they're on their mobile devices looking for entertainment, maybe some interesting threads, some knowledge, stuff like that. 
Um, but they're not really going to be doing platform comparison work on their mobile device at 8 p.m. And so I, I'm struggling to find a use case where it makes sense to bid on mobile clicks for enterprise B2B software, period. And I've, I've got some use cases where we pause that entirely and our efficiency has done really well as a result. Um, and so I'll pause with that. I could yeah. probably keep going, but there's a lot of shit to go back and forth on. So I'll let you get in there, man. But those are my, you know, initial opening remarks on paid search. Yeah. Great tip on the mobile. And also uh, after hours, demand creation sounds like a future party in Ibiza or something. So I'm going to keep using that term. To me, I'm only going to add one, one thing here, which I think is like the, fun, the fundamental, which is that if we're running paid search, the only way to evaluate the expense is the dollars of hero pipeline generated against the total spend and the dollars in revenue generated against the total spend broken out by branded, high intent or low intent and competitor. And then you can even look at it down at the lower level at the ad set or the ad, uh, the actual ad or keyword level. And that becomes the fundamental, like if companies scored their paid search that way, they would run paid search super differently. But the way that they score it allows us to bid on, you know, business budgeting software when someone's looking for QuickBooks, when we're selling $150,000 a year SaaS and we're spent, you know, thousands of clicks for someone looking to buy $29 a month QuickBooks while we're selling 150K SaaS to CPG brands or something. And all that stuff would go away if a report every quarter came out for the executive team that said, here's where the budget got broke down to across those four categories. Here's how much pipeline got created across those four categories. And here's what we're changing based on the data. And what would happen if companies evaluated paid search that way, they would spend 50 to 75% less on paid search. Um, some people run that analysis and cut everything but branded paid search. And so depending on the ACV of your software, the maturity of your category, the overall cost per clicks that are happening, like those factors, like let's say you sell a 12K ACV product, $1,000 a month with the sales commissions, the SDR involved, all the other marketing headcount, things like that. It makes it almost impossible to have less than a one year advertising payback on a term like that to sell a, a like quote unquote low ACV product. And so I think we need to, I think we have to be changing the way that we look at paid search and I think that if we did, it would lead to a lot of better decisions, which would most likely free up a lot of wasted budget that goes into low intent terms on paid search that then could be used for new things. Um, I will say as a, as a last point that um, marketers and companies reach on paid search and organic search. They reach and they go and spend overspend and they do too much SEO and things like that to try to subconsciously make up for the fact that they don't create demand. And the solution is not to spend more on paid search and to double your, the amount of blogs you publish. It's to effectively move dollars and focus to effective demand creation programs. And so I think those are some of the things that I'm generally what I see in Google search companies just way overspend there and don't have a proper measurement in place. A lot of people doing this, it's crazy. Like companies pretend that they're so data driven um, and then they're running $100,000 a month in paid search and not even scrutinizing the ROI. It's not even in the marketing QBR deck. Um, and so some of that stuff is interesting. Yeah, that, that, a lot of, lot of nuggets in there, dude. Uh, you know, one thing that comes to mind is like, 
the, falling into the trap of bidding on the most common category name with the biggest, broadest volume. So for example, you know, learning management software. CRM. Um, you know, LMS for sales, right? Let's just use that one. Mm-hmm. What about sales content management system, right? Uh, lower volume, but way more targeted. And that's the pain that they want to solve for sellers. Uh, they want to onboard and ramp sellers, but they really need a content management system for sales, right? So sales LMS, where everybody's bidding on that like crazy and you're fighting against a million players, you can drop one level down, get more narrow and have more relevance, less competition if you just find the angles that work, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I'm, I'm really pushing with all my clients as well is like, you know, there's there's also this like, big distinction you have to understand if you're going into paid search. Are you a platform provider or are you an integrator? Uh, Kevin Indig talks about this a lot for SEO, but like I'm working with a lot of integrator companies right now. So uh, third-party softwares that layer on top of Jira, for example. Um, I'm also working with a company that's in the ERP software integration space, which really is now becoming something called iPaaS, integration platform as a service. And so one reason why paid search is a horrible idea for a company like this is because you can search, you can bid on things like ERP integration. Um, And what you're going to end up uh, overlapping with way too much is people who actually want the ERP platform itself, not the integration capability. And so the other problem is that you're up against Zapier, who is offering the same thing for, you know, 1% of the price. So if you are an ERP integration platform, if you're an iPaaS platform uh, and your ACV is like 20K, um, but there's competitors in the market who offer very simple plug and play, drag and drop style integration capabilities for 1% of the cost, you're going to lose every time. And so really getting targeted and narrow into who are the people that have the problem that we solve who fits the description and profile of, of the kind of buyer we need to attract. All that stuff matters so much. So getting one layer deeper below the big, broad category name is key. And then really getting into that intent and understand where you fit in the market. Where can you win? That is the level of thinking that's needed to succeed today. Um, the, the old school methods of the past are just, I think, very ineffective. And you'll be struggling if you do that. Cool. We got we got two more topics. Next next topic review sites. I'll let you uh, you get this one started as well. Um, I personally don't see companies spend that much on like the media of review sites. I know that the review sites are thinking about spinning up some intent data or spinning up some ways where you use the reviews to make content like LinkedIn ads. So there's like some things brewing here. But interested in what you're seeing overall. I'm seeing um, basically two different flavors. There's pay-per-lead PPL programs where they basically just deliver a bunch of leads to you in a basket. Um, That's like the Gartner program. And then there's the, um, you can work with sites like G2 to like invest in their like um, broader advertising programs where you can use like their review collateral and directly embed it on your site and directly embed the, you know, the G2 quadrant widget directly on your landing pages and stuff like that. They charge you an arm and a leg for shit like that. Then there's the cost per click programs. So uh, Captera is just a straight bidding uh, system. Uh, Software Advice also has that bidding system available where it's literally you pay per click on the listing. 
Um, and you can bid higher or lower depending on, you know, how, however much you're willing to bleed. And then it's your job to optimize the paid traffic that comes from Capterra to your specific landing page. Um, when I was at Nextiva, there were also a lot of third-party power players like getvoip.com, basically just VoIP affiliate sites. There's all sorts of these affiliate sites out there in every niche. I would actually recommend everybody, uh, whatever your category is, try and find those niche players who are doing those affiliate reviews because they actually matter quite a lot uh, for demand capturing. But essentially, you have to mitigate risk in all these categories, whether it's Gartner PPL. What you have to really drill into is uh, what are the right filters for the kinds of leads that they're going to um, deliver to you. So if you don't have good filtering set up and you're an expensive SaaS, you're going to see a lot of rejected disqualified for out of budget or pricing you know, limitation or not within pricing, right? You're attracting too many small balls. Well, you didn't set your filtering criteria good enough. You didn't specify to Gartner that I only want you know, enterprise companies doing uh, X number of millions annually, right? So that is key. Uh, the other thing is that with the PPL programs, they're selling those leads to six, seven other vendors at a time. So if you don't, like a vulture, get in touch with that lead almost immediately within the hour, uh, they're gone. They're pretty much gone. And so um, I don't know if that even answered the question or not. I just went yeah, on another rant, great. but yeah. <laughs> basically you need to, optimize PPL, CPC, and affiliate programs accordingly. That's kind of my takeaway on that. Yeah, we kind of we kind of blended our review sites and affiliates together, which is totally cool and great. They're they're similar. A couple of notes that I have on uh, review sites specifically, and I love the concept that like basically B2B, like if a company's doing it in B2B, it's already happened at least 5 years ago in B2C. And you can basically use that as a way to predict what's going to happen. And so I look at the review site type of uh, category right now, the same way that you would look at Yelp in 2014. And what happened to Yelp over time, it became more of a marketing ploy than a way to get real good insights. Um, people started trusting it less and less because they had something that was five or five star reviews with 45 reviews and they go to the Indian restaurant and it sucks and and people stop trusting it that much. The same, th we're in the process of that happening with review sites right now if we're not already there. Like, I don't know the last time that I've gone to any of those sites. Don't give, don't care at all. If you're buying, like you're trying to compare monday.com versus a sauna, like, yeah, I could see some value in going in there and seeing some stuff. But when you're trying to buy enterprise SaaS, I just don't, I think that there's better ways to get more trusted information to make strategic decisions. So I think that it's really dependent on your category and your ACV as to how much time you should be spending on review sites. I also believe that instead of having a third party collect the reviews that we should consider as marketers building more of a first party database of reviews. Why do we need, why should we aggregate these all on G2? Why don't we have them all over our website. I'm not saying that we should, we probably need a presence on G2, right? So I'm not saying don't do that and do this instead, but having that type of data first party rather than third party on G2 could be really valuable, um, could be used to inform positioning and messaging and product roadmap and stuff like that. So that's my thoughts on review sites. 
Um, in the affiliate game, if you're really thinking about this as like affiliate blogs or industry newsletters that like rank things, um, I I think that in highly commoditized categories that this is in, important. But me personally, I I wouldn't play in a highly commoditized category. But in highly commoditized categories, review affiliates and review sites and that type of stuff is really going to matter. Um, I think that as you get into more disruptive or uh, unique differentiation, uh, typically leads to higher price points and things like that, that you become less reliant on things like that. But on, on affiliates, to me, it's like, as marketers, we need to stop paying other people to access our audience and figure out a way to access them on our own. I never, like, people ask me, like, Chris, you going to the inbound conference this year? Did you get a booth? And I'm like, no, because I reach 100x more people every day that I would reach when I go to the HubSpot conference. I don't need a booth there so 100 people walk by because I've spent five years building this so that I don't need Saster and Inbound and Dreamforce booth so that 100 people talk to me. I'll still go to many of the conferences. I'll still meet our customers and have sales meetings and create content and network and learn and do that stuff. But I'm not paying 50, 100, 250 grand for a Dreamforce booth to hope that people walk by. So we need to take control as marketers to own the audience. Not like the people that are talking about like, oh, social sucks. You need to collect emails and have your owned audience. That's not what I'm saying. You need to have own, own the direct distribution of things to your customers through any means or a variety of means. Events, podcasts, social, email. It's not either or, it's and. It's a lot of those things. Cool. With that said, I'm just going to recap here um, what I think is a couple of the common missteps, and then we'll move to Q&A and make sure people can get some, uh, some questions in. Com this is more of a recap. Common missteps that I see on demand capture. Broadly, companies dramatically overinvest here to appease the attribution and scoring models inside of their companies. If you consider that SDRs are a demand capture function, Sales is a demand conversion function, and then all of the investment that goes to either lead gen or demand capture programs, then 95% of the budget gets spent on demand capture. So companies just dramatically overinvest here. When they think about how we're going to pour more money in, they always pour money there because of the easier, the, the measurement is easier and cleaner and it's been developed for, set up for them. Which leads me to the next one. The second one is improper measurement. When you're running demand capture, it should be hero pipeline against spend per channel. Somebody has intent in the channel, you trigger an action or you spend money there, or you do something. Did that convert to pipeline or not? To me, this should be black and white. Um, it's not about saying all of our marketing gets evaluated against last touch attribution. It's saying all of our demand capture spend should be evaluated against last touch attribution. And then lastly, the misalignment of strategy between these channels. Um, so that could come in the form of companies not creating demand so that they overdo and they like over, overdo like search in other places like that as a way to try and make up for a lack of demand creation. It could come in the form of like trying to using LinkedIn ads to run lead gen, thinking that it's demand capture, but it's not. It's buying email addresses. So there's several things where the strategy of the individual channels misalign with the outcome that they're going for. And with all that said... Like we'll, we'll stay on for a little while longer. I know some people are probably gonna have to jump to another meeting or things like that, but let's get into questions and we'll go for a little while DGL style. 
Well, speaking of DGL, we've got an OG here, David, for some questions. Hello, Chris. Hello, Gaetano. Good to see you the both. OG. Good to hear from you. Um, Gaetano, I love your background. The, the NS10s always make me feel right at home, so I'm, I'm good with that. So quickly into my question, and I know you're not going to have enough time to go into this. You've been talking at a kind of a large scale, broadly speaking. Let's imagine I'm a ABM manager, and I'm trying to target 1,000 accounts or 500 accounts. So a fairly large number, and yet nevertheless quite defined. How would you suggest playing with SEO in that context? How would you suggest perhaps um, tailoring PPC and more, more, more broadly? Let's think in terms of demand creation and demand capture with defined accounts in an ABM kind of mindset. And I've got dedicated reps for these dedicated accounts. So something I think that many of our listeners might have kind of a shape towards, what could you drop in four minutes and 35 seconds on that? <laughs> I'd appreciate it, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the answer is that you have to look for clues among the characteristics and traits of those target accounts and try, on, and try to align that back to some kind of keyword strategy. And then the way you, you kind of go about measurement is the number of target accounts that are engaging with SEO pages and platforms like Demandbase and Sixth Sense can show you that. Um, but one example is like, um, let's say that uh, they're enterprise, whatever. You would try to rank for keywords like uh, enterprise VoIP system, enterprise learning management software, uh, corp. If it's maybe compliance training is a big deal among this group of people, it may be you know comp uh, learning management platform for compliance training, right? So you try and rank and bid on things that you know are common pain points um, and um, you know key jobs to be done among that group of people. That's kind of the best you can do. Um, there's not really much else you can do beyond that. Like one of the things with SEO and paid search, as you know, is that it's pulling things inbound. And therefore one of the things you sacrifice is targeting criteria and targeting capabilities. It's the very reason why we actually elect for ABM is so that we don't have that problem with targeting. However, what you sacrifice with ABM is volume and reach, right? Um, but you know that's the kind of trade-off that you make there. Ideally, you have the all bound thing going on where you have sales reps, ads, SEO, paid search, events, ABM programs, right? Uh, hitting all those key stakeholders at all those accounts over time. You know, the, the, this new concept of all bound is really where it's going. Um, you know, Chris has been talking a long time about split the funnel. So that's my quick like 60 second answer on it. Um, Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, just to throw a different, I'm not even sure I really believe this yet, but I'm saying it for the reaction is like, if you had a thousand accounts, target accounts, and you're like, how do we optimize search for those accounts? I would say that I, I wouldn't. My goal would be to, how do we get these thousand accounts to come to Google and search for our company? And then that becomes a lot more clear. Um, and it cha it completely changes the strategy. And if you're an enterprise company, you're selling 150K cybersecurity SaaS, you're gonna sit there and wait for the CISO to, to fucking search something so they do it? No, you're gonna go out and get those people because you know the thousand accounts and who they are. Um, so I think when we move to a, um, to a quote unquote account-based motion, we should also be moving very far into the demand creation mode 
as the means to then trigger demand capture, right? So there's something has to have, like, if, if you really operate on like what a six sensor demand base would say, we're not touching these accounts until they're quote unquote in market or they, you know, MQA, you got to do some stuff to actually get an account to do that first, or you have to hope that something else organic in the market, word of mouth, Gartner says something and they read it. There's a press release and it like hits their desk. You have to hope that something else does it. It'd be much easier and much more logical for you to go out there and do it yourself. Um, so I think it just moves companies more into a demand creation mode. Another thing I've never tested this, but it seems like an idea worth exploring is that if you're really tight on the targeting within like a LinkedIn ads, for instance, could you either upbid or only bid on retargeting audiences within Google search? So you'll miss stuff, but you'll probably be a lot more effective. So that's something else to consider. Like in a lot of places, you, you sell to a thousand accounts. It's very like possible or likely that other companies that aren't those thousand are searching the exact same thing and you waste a lot of money there. So given that there's a lot of waste in Google paid search already, I would consider maybe like having some blend of retargeting to which they would then trigger the bids. Thank you. No, I, I would agree. And anytime I get you to start speaking German, Chris, I know I've hit a good point. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you both. All right. Um, Jen's up next. And ask her to unmute. Hi guys. And hi, Gitano. I saw this, you were promoting this on your LinkedIn. You're working with Gitano right now. I was just wondering, um, what are some, you know, B2B SaaS companies that you guys think are nailing marketing or that, you know, we could be looking to for some inspiration, not necessarily to copy, but for ideas and things that you think are really innovative? Uh, yeah, Chris, you want to go first? Uh, or I can as well. Yeah, I'll name a couple. Um, like, I don't actually spend that much time looking at what other people are doing. Like if it comes to me, then like I'll notice it, but I'm not like spending a lot of time. And I think a lot of companies that are doing the best marketing aren't marketing to marketers, something to consider as well. And so I think that, uh, what Clary's doing is super interesting. They have a great organic, uh, thought leadership strategy inside of LinkedIn, exactly as how we recommend their CEO is really turning up the notch. Um, they spent a lot of time on the new story. They just made an acquisition. Um, they have figured out organic LinkedIn distribution better than almost any other company that I'm watching right now. So I think that's worth highlighting because it doesn't happen that often, especially the CEO, a thousand person company posting on LinkedIn three to five times a week with good stuff, not being ghostwritten by somebody else. Um, so I feel obligated to shout them out. Who else we got? So there, there's uh, Tom Wentworth has been on the podcast a bunch of, uh, maybe just one time way back in the day. Um, he works at a company called Recorded Future. I think that's uh, them, but also many companies in the cybersecurity industry have really figured out this concept of uh, owned, you know, owned content or like original type of content, mixing it with PR as a form of demand creation. So they'll like go and find like, new threats or they'll, and then they'll like publish something about it. It'll get a news pickup. It creates a lot of demand. Um, they'll also host like recurring podcasts and things like that. So I, I think because of the buyer in that, uh, in that sale, cybersecurity companies basically get forced to do good marketing like that. So I think that's something worth noting. I saw Allison Monroe, the CMO of Venice Solutions a couple of weeks ago and just feel like we should be shouting them out too as a company that again, doesn't market, market to marketing or salespeople. 
markets to CFOs and finance people, has nailed messaging, uh, is getting this like partner ecosystem down really well, appropriately and properly spends across paid social to the tune of like three, four hundred thousand dollars a month and sells a ton of velocity SaaS deals. They have a third party content thing called Plan to Grow. So I think there's a lot to be learned from companies like that. It's it's often that you recommend companies that are that market to you. I really like looking out of just the marketing technology space. I get, uh, it's crazy for me. I get almost no marketing from any marketing technology vendor, almost none, not targeted on LinkedIn or Facebook or anything. You'd think that somebody would want me to know about their product, but it almost never happens. Um, sometimes I organically see it on LinkedIn, but when you think about like a targeted campaign strategy, I haven't seen anything from Sixth Sense in years. I haven't heard of from Demandbase. If you look at outreach or sales loft, never see them. Um, there's, it's just, it's just really interesting. Those, those categories seem to get built by analyst firms, not by like really good marketing. Yeah, man, ag agreed. Um, I, I got a good mix of stuff in here. I've just been rattling things off in the comments, but Rose.com, they turned their homepage into the product itself. There's no more homepage. You go to their homepage and you just get right into the product. So that's the ultimate example of product-led growth. It's uh, There was a case study on it that I read. They like increased conversions by like 30% just by doing that. So taking a massive risk, just deleting their homepage. And like when you go to their homepage, you just literally go into the platform. I think that's amazing. Uh, not relevant to everybody on this call, but you know, just one example. Uh, Trey.io, just really clean enterprise marketing. Great homepage, great messaging, um, great conversion flow on the site. Uh, really a big fan of the approach they've taken with their marketing. Um, Cognizant, you know, I'm working with them on a lot of uh, demand creation stuff, uh, a lot of uh, LinkedIn marketing, podcasts, YouTube, um, just all sorts of kinds of stuff, demand capture as well. So I love working with those guys and I think they're just doing a great job overall. Um, my former company, Aura.com, one of the best I've ever seen at demand capture. So affiliates, paid search, um, SEO, and then a lot of offsite and brand marketing as well. They do a really good job. They have a partnership with the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team, for example. So a lot of brand activation stuff. They just do a really good job with PR and uh, CEO, founder, brand storytelling marketing as well. Uh, their CEO, Hari, is like one of the best I've ever seen. A um, couple more, Wix. Man, you know, for the longest time, Wix, they had this very negative reputation which was Wix sucks for SEO. If you're an SEO, don't use Wix. What have they been doing for the last year? You can't open YouTube and see, if you want to grow your organic traffic, you need to use Wix. Every pre-roll ad for Wix I see now is about how great they are for SEO. They've really changed the narrative and done a great job with advertising. Uh, Capchase, they are a financial SaaS runway tool. They don't market to marketers, but their design, their messaging, their landing page game is amazing. Definitely one of the best I've seen. Um, they're not a client of mine, but I know the founder, Miguel. Uh, they just do next level quality design and messaging. Great job. Uh, Webflow, their homepage is amazing. Their design is great. Their messaging and content and copywriting is really strong. Like one of the best I've seen. Uh, Hockey Stack, been seeing them a lot. I think they do a good job. And uh, I think last but not least, I saw this really fascinating page on PandaDoc. 
they have a massive alternatives hub where they rip apart like Pandadoc versus every competitor out there. Check it out. Um, it's really brilliantly done. It's a genius move. Not many have pulled off uh, uh, alternative sub like this, but man, that was impressive. So there's probably a lot more. These are just a few things that come to mind. Cool. Let's get at least one more. All right, Jamie, you're up next. Hi, I think this is my first time actually listening to the show live. So I'm glad <laughs> after like, I don't know, one, two years of listening to you. Um, Chris, like you, I come from a more of a software engineering developer background um, with some business skills. And um, I also love the pain of working with manufacturing and medical mm -hmm. device companies. So those are my primary target markets. So my question for you is, why are companies relying more on capture demand? Do they do this because they don't know how to reach their ICP? Because in working with these companies, I feel like their their biggest challenge is trying to identify, okay, cool, I want to create demand, but I don't know where to go to do that. And I know a huge part of that is most of them do not like to get on video and talk or they don't understand. They see the value in doing things like podcasts um, and videos, but they may not have the right resources to get that up and running. So for companies that don't have that right resource mix, what would you recommend for them to um, kind of start with for figuring out how to reach you know, some of their companies. I'm just questioning. I kind of want to see if your approach would be different than mine. Yeah, I wrote down a couple of notes and I'm interested with what Gatano has to say. If you think about the root cause, I think there are two. Companies and executives don't listen to customers, customers being the market. So about where they're discovering, what they're researching, what their preferences are, how they want to buy, stuff like that. Just flat out don't listen to them. Um, they would rather listen to what the HubSpot blog says or what Gartner recommends in their, you know, 2023 state of marketing report or something like that. And the second one is the measurement scoring model inside of the company basically forces you to do demand capture in order to achieve the metrics. And so those end up being the two core things. And then lastly, like, I don't see, a, a, like, sure, some co companies that listen to my podcast are like, yeah, we want to create demand, but... For the masses, most people are not even looking at these as two separate things yet. They're just looking at it as marketing, not demand capture and demand creation. And so, and then when they think about marketing, the measurement and how you hit those measurements is all built around demand capture. So that's what they do. Yeah. For the larger manufacturing companies, that is primarily the case. Though the ones I work with, um, I've definitely sold them on yeah. go talk to your customer. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they're definitely hearing the feedback and they're understanding the value that that feeds even the product development. Um, so I've at least been able mm -hmm. to move to that space. It's just getting them to take that next step sometimes in certain companies um, to stop doing some of that capture demand and really move into the space where they're providing subject matter expertise. Yeah, I'll talk to you about like the next steps in one second, but I wanna like hit a key point here about why companies struggle. If they actually try to go and implement a demand creation strategy, the reason is because in demand creation or when you're creating this content, there's nowhere to hide. Um, if you post something on LinkedIn and nobody in the video sucks and nobody likes it, you get that feedback immediately. If you post an SEO blog or you build an ebook, you can hide behind, oh, we got 3,000 downloads or 25 people came to the website or blah, blah, blah. And so the diff. Or if a customer counters 
something that they've said in their marketing messaging. If a single customer, they could have a hundred or a thousand that are like, yes, this is amazing. We agree. And they can have one single person that counters that message. And that one person will make them say, you know, we need to stop doing this or we need to pull this down or that messaging is wrong. So you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. A great example of this. Uh, I'm not kidding. I just got off a client call. They're like, hey, we want to capture demand for hybrid event platform, but there's a problem. Our company has taken a stance that we don't believe in hybrid events. You're either one or the other. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, all right, well, um, my former company, Nextiva, if you look at their homepage, it says business communication solution for simplifying whatever. The number one flagship product is business VoIP. It takes you three clicks and uh, five minutes of digging to realize they're a business phone software company. So there's a conflict of capture demand versus uh, create demand narrative, the realm of relevance or sphere of influence thing, whatever. Many companies are positioning themselves in this way and their demand creation strategy is really contingent upon a top level narrative that is compelling. Meanwhile, capture demand is ghost. Like Chris said, you're hiding with SEO in many cases. You're ranking for hybrid event platform you know, comparison, but you won't see anything on the site about hybrid event platform. You're, you know, you're, you're ranking number one and capturing demand and driving pipeline for you know, business VoIP software, but nowhere on the site does it says, hey, we're a business VoIP, right? So that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of the, the, the conflict there. They're not pairing their ads and the intent and of what customers are looking to do with the information they actually provide and the user experience that they're providing after that point in time. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One more? What do you say? I feel like we're on a roll here. Come this far. We'll do one more. All right. You've got Devin that's got a question. So let me see if, uh, let me get him on here. Yeah, he's still on, so we're good. <laughs> hey guys, this is actually my uh, my first show. Uh, so happy to happy to be on here. Saw both Chris and G uh, rep it on LinkedIn and had to join. But basically, uh, you know, I think the demo forms, homepages, landing pages, uh, we have demo forms on the the side of blogs have just been like really overplayed uh, and really just want to get your take on the trend of ungated product tours. You could click through uh, uh, some basic functions and features uh, on a like a homepage product tour and, you know, fill out a demo form after that. Are there one, I guess, any other examples you've seen on this on real sites? And two, what's your take on on this approach for, for capturing leads? Yeah, Chris, you go ahead and then I've got some thoughts. Um, Cool. Yeah, I think the trend, like, sure, we can look at product tours, but the quote unquote trend that you're talking through is like ungated everything, which with the uh, core objective, if people like think about it, the core objective when you do this is to facilitate buyers to independently research and purchase and decide on your product in the way that they want not by having to go to your sales rep to get information that they need to make a decision. Um, and so that's all we're trying to do here is facilitate the buyer to take more steps in the buying process to complete the buying process before they talk to sales, which is what they want. And it makes it highly efficient for the company if they do it right as well. And so when we think about like ungated content, ungated product tours, ungated recorded demo, 
there's plenty of other some things that you need your email to sign up for like this event or like a newsletter subscription some people some things like quote unquote gated but it's really just you we need you to opt in for distribution or tell us who you are in the ungated like product tour specifically like yeah i think it's a great i think it's a great move if you execute it right if the content sucks and you're like you know not describing the product properly and then you put that next to your demo form you say hey like you can fill out the demo form or just watch our ungated product tour and come on in and it like it really flops and then people don't fill out the demo form because it's getting in the way it all comes down to execution there but in theory like allowing the customer to get a deeper view of the product to allow them to research before they convert i think makes logical sense to me and makes sense it also could help and people never think about this side of it um, but there's a ton of value in it if people do it and they're not the right person they'll disqualify themselves instead of you needing to invest two to three weeks in sales time and things like that to tell to figure out that they are not qualified and that's not like a firmographics or easy to find data they're not qualified because they have a they use a certain like underlying tool or their ACV is something that you don't know about is a reason that they could disqualify themselves by having that type of uh, information available. So those are my thoughts on ungated product tours. Yeah, I think I got one key point to hammer home and then we'll wrap up, Chris, uh, on, on that question from Devin. You know, one thing that comes to mind for me is the concept of product led content. It used to be the case that if you were uh, so-called promoting or plugging your product within the story of your content, it would be perceived as too salesy. But that was because, as you said, it comes down to execution. The way that you pull it off matters a lot. So if the content's shit and it's just a thinly veiled product ad, yeah, of course people are going to say that. But if the content is really good and you show how the product or solution can actually solve a problem in a tasteful, helpful, useful manner, I think it has a lot of value in showing uh, specific use cases for the product. And, and, and here's a great example. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies within like um, landing pages and even blog content start to incorporate like um, uh, GIFs or GIFs, however you say it, where like you can uh, just put a 10 second clip of how to do this one thing with the product, which, is, which can be really useful. You know, one example actually that I'm, going through right now is uh, I'm working with a company that is a SaaS data backup provider for platforms like Okta and Jira. Within Jira, you can back up your data with its own built-in system that Atlassian offers. But they're a third-party provider. And the difference is that within the Atlassian built-in backup, you can't do this in an automated fashion. With the third-party platform that they offer, you can automate data backups. Now, if you create a, a, a page that's, a, that's about you know, how to backup your Atlassian data or how to backup Jira, um, you need to actually draw that distinction, that line of the sand that says, this is the pain. You can do it manually within Atlassian's own built-in system, or you can use our platform to automate the process, but you need to show how the automation works. And you need to really do a good job pulling off that product-led content. Otherwise, people aren't going to see the value. They're just going to use the information you use to rank for how to do it themselves within Atlassian's own built-in system, and you're never going to get any conversions. So that, that's like a real practical like example of how this shit works. 
Um, it goes a little bit deeper than just product tours on the site, but I think the concept of product-led content is, is really key, not just in SEO and landing page and blog content, but in social um, and platform content experiences, video, right? The, the Wix YouTube pre-roll ad is another great example. Um, that's what I would be thinking about. Right on. What an event. Thanks for everyone that stayed a little late. We went 19 minutes over like we normally do. Back in the day, we would start at 7.30 and sometimes we'd be getting off at like 10 p.m. I think some of the latest ones are like two and a half hours, which is crazy that you and I could talk for that long about some of this stuff. But gee, thanks for being here. Always love the perspective that you bring. And also, it's been really cool to see how your ideas have evolved. You've started working with more companies as a consultant rather than just a Nextiva. I had that effect where like once you start getting the broad view, you get this like rapid acceleration in ideas because you see the patterns way faster. So happy for you on that and appreciate you sharing that stuff. Um, thanks for everyone that attended. Thanks for the people that asked the questions. I like this so much. We might have to do it again. So we'll, uh, we'll leave that as a cliffhanger for now. Um, thanks everyone for being here. Hope you have a great rest of your week. See you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sydney. Take care.